from the Magha Samyutta. This is the forerunner, the precursor of the rising of the sun, that is the dawn. So two bhikkhus. For a bhikkhu, this is the forerunner, the precursor for the arising of the Noble Eightfold Path. That is, accomplishment in desire. When one is accomplished in desire, it is to be expected that one will develop and cultivate this Noble Eightfold Path. And how does one who is accomplished in desire develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path? Here, one develops right view, which has as its final goal the removal of lust, the removal of hatred, the removal of delusion. And then, of course, the same as right thought, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. One develops right concentration, which has as its final goal the removal of lust, the removal of hatred, and the removal of delusion. It is in this way that one who is accomplished in desire develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. So I want to reflect this morning on this accomplishment, the accomplishment of desire, chanda sampada. Bhikkhu Bodhi translates desire as, translates chanda as desire. Bhikkhu Sujato translates chanda as enthusiasm. The Abhidhamma defines chanda or desire as the desire to act towards either wholesome or unwholesome um, deeds. Its function, the function of desire, is to search for an object. It manifests as the need for the object, and the proximate cause is that same object. The Abhidhamma says, it should be regarded as the stretching forth of the mind toward the object. You might sense that sometimes, the mind stretching toward, leaning toward reaching toward. Desire supports our attention. It supports our attention by wanting to be conscious of the object that is currently being known. And so desire, according to the Abhidhamma, occurs, is considered to be an occasional factor. It's a feature in every wholesome state and also many unwholesome states, those that are rooted in either greed or hate. Sensual lust could, of course, be the most obvious manifestation of an unwholesome, unskillful desire. But just not only the lust, also the aversion. In aversion states, the mind is still reaching toward that object to actively not want it. It's a very similar dynamic in the mind. But we shouldn't think of desire as always being a hindrance because it arises in every wholesome state. We need the desire to be mindful. We have to want to observe our experience. You don't want to observe your experience, you're going to just go off into some fantasy. Your mind knows the the easy way around. Um, out. We need the desire to be compassionate, to want to help. For wisdom to develop, we have to want to understand. To cultivate the mind, we have to want to abandon our distractions. 
Do we want to end the defilements? Do we want to develop this path? Although chanda can arise with either wholesome or unwholesome states as an accomplishment, we're obviously not talking about aversion and lust. We're not talking about anything oriented towards sensual craving. We're looking at the desire, the wish, to accomplish what is wholesome. And so this is an important and even a necessary support for the development of our practice. We find this kind of chanda, desire, as a wholesome factor or force mentioned in many, many discourses of the Buddha. In the Samyutta Nikaya, it says, Bhikkhus, if a bhikkhu gains concentration, gains one-pointedness of mind based upon desire. This is called the concentration due to desire. One generates desire for the non-arising of unarisen, evil, unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind and strives. One generates desire for the abandoning of arisen, evil, unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy applies the mind and strives. One generates desire for the arising of unarisen wholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind and strives. One generates desire for the maintenance of arisen wholesome states, for their non-decay, increase, expansion, and fulfillment by development. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind and strives. Desires guide our efforts. They organize our activities. Our intentions set the direction for our attainments. We develop our practice according to our interests. The question we must ask ourselves is, are our interests worthy? Are our desires good? What do we really want? And does what we want support the liberating path? Ordinary people put a lot of energy into trying to get and control what, from another perspective, really looks like trivial temporary pleasures that have no potential to lead to happiness and great potential to lead to suffering. We sometimes see that and reflect upon it when we come into seclusion and spend a period of time into deep meditation. When we reflect on ordinary life, sometimes it seems a bit, not bad, maybe just trivial. And sometimes we look at the thoughts that arise in our minds and we have rather the same impression. Really? You just gave 10 minutes to that thought? (laughs) So we might contemplate a bit in our practice what we really value and what would be of enduring value, lasting value, long-term benefit. What are our deeper intentions, our deeper desires in the spiritual life? We actually have to want to let go of unwholesome states. 
And we have to want to cultivate wholesome states for our effort to be effective. In the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Book of the Threes, there's a description of a farmer. And it said, this farmer does not have the psychic power to command crops, grow, bear fruit. And so he has to perform three urgent tasks. He has to plow the field, he has to sow the seed, and he has to irrigate and drain the field. Similarly, it says, a meditator who does not have the psychic power to command that the mind be liberated from non-clinging right now, today, must undertake the training in three urgent tasks. One resolves, I will have a keen desire to undertake the training in the higher virtuous behavior, the training in the higher mind, and the training in the higher wisdom. The first step is to have a keen desire to train. Without a keen desire, we don't get very far. Practice isn't easy. You know that. Some days, sure, there's pleasure, there's bliss. We're floating on a kind of carpet of sukha and pleasure. But no doubt there are other times that are difficult, that really take persistence and commitment, where we're experiencing difficulties and dukkha. But day after day, many times a day, you make that long hike down that corridor to sit here and to meet whatever conditions arise in body and mind. Do you want to be present for your experience right now? Do you want to be where you are right now? Or are you wishing you were somewhere else, doing something else, hearing a talk on a different subject, experiencing something different? Do you want to be where you are? If the answer is, no, I don't want to be here, you'll be suffering. If the answer is such an overly enthusiastic jumping for joy, yes, 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 oh, I'm so glad to be here, that the mind will start spinning out, scheming about how we can keep this experience, how we can repeat this experience, who we can tell about this experience, and we'll also be suffering. But can we just simply, just simply want to be where we are? To let go of the stories, the mental fabrications, the expectations, the comparisons, and be content with and interested in what is present. It's a simple practice of wanting to be where we already are. This can settle a great deal of worry and anxiety. It produces a simple contentment and intimacy with present experience. At some points in our practice, the desire for the Dhamma might seem very strong. We're eager, we're enthusiastic to get to the meditation hall in the morning. It happens sometimes. You wake up and it's like, oh boy, another day to meditate. You want to get into the hall very quickly and meditate very fully. 
In the Sutta Nipata, there's a beautiful description of the urgency with which 16 Brahmins once went to visit the Buddha. And it's said that they climbed up the mountain path with the zeal and the haste of a merchant drawn to wealth or a thirsty man to cool water or to a man with sunstroke to shade. They wanted nothing else. Their desire to meet the Buddha was full Nothing could distract them from their quest for awakening. But even though we've all worked really hard to get here, sometimes, and sometimes we're sitting here and, oh, it's so deep. We're so concentrated, steady, clear, mindful. Sometimes, sometimes a short time later, sometimes in the same sit, that we had the thought, oh, this is the deepest I've ever experienced this life. Suddenly we find ourselves seduced by some trivial, trivial thought. How many times a day do you break the momentum of your concentration because you want something else? I had the good fortune of practicing with Venerable Pawak Sayadaw um, in three retreats right here. And he had the effect of inspiring a sense of very diligent urgency in me. Um, in the course of the training with him, he pushed me further than I had ever thought possible in my own practice. And it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. He had a lot to teach me, and he would say that. He said, I have so much to teach you. Don't waste any time. I often found myself leaving the library where we would have the interviews and right after the interviews, almost racing to get back to the meditation hall to try to put into practice whatever the instruction was that I had just received. I was filled with such eagerness. I think it's important to nurture eagerness, interest, the desire for Dhamma, the desire for freedom, the sense of possibility, the earnest wish for release. This kind of deep yearning is not a sense of entitlement or expectation or greed. It doesn't demand anything from others. It doesn't demand that other people do anything or give us anything or provide anything for us. It's a purity of aspiration that's strong enough to overshadow and thereby overcome the hindrances and the obstacles. In the Anguttara Nikaya, the Book of the Fours, there's a very curious discourse between Venerable Ananda and one of the bhikkhunis. And he says, Sister, this body has come into being through craving, yet based upon craving... Craving is to be abandoned, with reference to what was this said. In this case, a monk hears it said. They say that a monk of such and such a name, by the destruction of the taints in this very life, enters and dwells in the taintless liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom, having realized it for himself by direct knowledge. Okay, so we hear about somebody who is awakened or has attained something. Then he thinks, oh, when shall I too realize the taintless liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom? 
than sometime later. Based upon that craving, he abandons craving. Based upon that craving, he abandons craving. Now, we talk about not comparing ourselves. We talk about not trying to assess where we are in comparison to where we imagine somebody else to be. But we hear stories of people being awakened. And in hearing that story, maybe we read something in the discourses. We have the thought, ah, I too want that. I want that for me. Now, at some point, the sense of I and the sense of me and the sense of desire are going to fall away. But we need that sense of wanting that too in order to pursue the path. Based upon that craving, craving is abandoned. In the course of our practice, we're inspired to develop so many good things, good qualities, develop skills. Why? often because we've met somebody who had those qualities that we respected and we wanted them. Maybe we heard about abilities or states and we wanted to experience them for ourselves. Seeing people develop good things is very inspiring. It gives us good ideas and inspiration for developing our own practice. Perhaps you're cultivating mindfulness because you heard about the benefits of mindfulness as other people spoke or mentioned how they experienced benefits from mindfulness. Or perhaps you're exploring the loving-kindness practice because you heard that, oh, somebody I know did a metta retreat and they really enjoyed it. They said that it really opened their heart. I'd like that too in my life. I'd like to develop that in my practice. Dhamma teachers sometimes share stories of our own practice in order to stimulate within you the wholesome desire. We're saying, I've benefited from this practice. Try it. It's possible you might benefit from it too. In this way, the wholesome desires inspire and organize our efforts. But wisdom must inform the application of our efforts so that our desire, so that our efforts that are based upon desire will lead to the abandoning of that desire too. Not to the identification and the arrogance and the attachment that I have now accomplished this thing that I wanted, I got it. No. We pursue it with that wholesome desire, but with an attitude to desire that allows that desire to also end. There was a dialogue with um, Srini Sargadatta Maharaj where the questioner said, the memories of my wonderful experiences haunt me. I want them back. You know, some people come into retreat thinking about their last retreat, wanting to pick up right where they left off and repeat the experience that they already had. Maharaj says, because you want them back, you cannot have them. The state of craving for anything blocks all deep experience. Nothing of value can happen to a mind which knows exactly what it wants. For nothing the mind can visualize 
and want is of much value. And then the questioner says, then what is worth wanting? Maharaj says, want the best, the highest happiness, the greatest freedom. Desirelessness is the highest bliss. Can we cultivate our desire, valuing wholesome desire, with the willingness and the wisdom to abandon that desire too? With the cultivation of wholesome desire, we understand it's for the purpose of ending desire. The desire for concentration, the desire for wisdom, for clarity, the desire to let go for freedom, for awakening, can be so strong that the force of desire, this desire, actually dispels all other hindrances, all other distractions. Because when we want one thing, freedom, liberation, nibbana, peace, we are not wanting other things. And when nothing interests the mind except liberation, there will be a profound dispassion toward matter and mind. Conditioned, impermanent experiences will not draw out a reaction. The mind turns away from all that is fabricated and conditioned. And this, for the, but for this turning away to occur without a shred of aversion, without the slightest aversion or irritation toward the condition. And we know aversion is also a form of attachment. That desire for freedom must be very, very strong. Then the only pull is that desire towards the deathless liberation. And in the experience of it, in the experience of Nibbana, that single remaining desire is quenched. Hence, based upon, based upon craving, craving is abandoned. Enjoy your practice today. <laughs>